Are you ready to take action to attain the lifestyle of your dreams? It's a great way to make a lot of money fast, fast, fast. Hey, what's going on, Clever Investors? Welcome back to the Clever Investor Show. I'm your lucky host, Cody Sperber, the OG Clever Investor. And we're back in Clever Investor Studios with a good friend of mine, a business partner, a mentor, uh, somebody I really look up to and I'm really excited to share with you guys. He is the, uh, he's a super entrepreneur. So much so that he scaled a business to over $100 million in the first, what, 16, 18 months? Yes. And uh, eventually grew that business to be so massive that he exited it for multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. I can't even know. I, I don't know if we could disclose the number. It's a nine, but nine figure exit. Nine yeah. figure exit. And uh, we we own some masterminds together. We've done some biz together. I buy email drops off his email list. He's like the Michael Jordan of email marketing. Um, he's actually helped my business. I would say um, you've helped my business almost more financially than anybody else I know. Just by teaching me some of your email hacks, Today in Clever Investor Studios, we got the amazing Joel Marianne. Hey. In the house, baby. <laughs> and you to be here. Uh, yeah, and you also have your own podcast. Yes. Born to Impact. It's a big uh, passion project, give back effort. Uh, we started that in 2018, over 100 episodes. Cody was on a two-part, wonderful two-part episode with you. We recorded at my house. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, a project to give back, inspire other people to live the life that they were born to live. Because so many times I think people are settling for uh, a much lower, lesser version of themselves than they could be. For real. Yeah. I mean, it's a pandemic. That's a real pandemic <laughs> yeah, out right. there. Yeah, is- average. As we say, average is a disease. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and what I love about your story is, uh, and especially as I've gotten to know you over the years, uh, you're really smart, but like you're you're the average dude. Yeah. Like you're the average dude that went <laughs> off and won the game financially from a, a business perspective, a life perspective, a spiritual perspective. Like you're, you're winning on many different levels. Uh and you started off as a phys ed teacher. Yes. Yeah. So you said I'm winning. And, you know, as we've had just a conversation coming over here, we're, we're still learning things in life and discovering what, what does winning really look like in life. Um, I think so many times we set a goal for what we think success looks like in our, in our lives and we achieve that. And maybe we enjoy aspects of that for a little while. And then we realize that, um, you know, there's more to it than the flash, the glitz and the, the glimmer, having a bunch of money in a bank account, but still lacking freedom in your life uh, and all those things. But yeah, I started uh, all the way back and it's still a constant ev- evolution, but back 15, 16 years ago now, um, you know, I was a high school health and physical education teacher. So uh, when you're starting there and I was the first individual in my entire family to even go to college, we had a loan graduate. Um, you know, my brother didn't go to school. My mom, my dad did not go. Their parents did not go to college. Uh, uh, really to even graduate high school was like a big deal in the family lineage, you know? So I was the first person to really break that mold. Um, took my studies really seriously and always was trying to just be the best that I could possibly be. Um, you know, straight A student. My brother went a totally different path and got into a life of partying and all that in high school and i was played sports and and uh studied you know and then in college i graduated graduated uh, magna cum laude with uh, with honors didn't really know what i was going to do but i knew that 
health and fitness somehow, some way is what I, where I wanted to be. But the first didn't quite know what that was going to look like. And the safe place for me out of college was, uh, was to go and be a teacher. So I taught high school for four years while I was trying to get all this other stuff off the ground. And, um, a few years later that materialized. You know, what's funny about your story is you started off there and you're kind of ending up there. Yeah. You know, you work so hard to become successful. And this is what we were talking about in the car on the ride over here is, uh, you know, sometimes you're, you're on this mission to like build and grow and acquire and just accumulate wealth and accumulate things and accumulate success. And, uh, at some point it's like, that gets like really kind of old and overwhelming. And you almost get to a point where you want to like go back to like simple. And now you're, you've, You've worked so hard to become free so that way you can go back and coach kids again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is where you started. That's the full circle. So I there's actually you know, I didn't miss the income of teaching high school, but I I missed impacting young people, you know. So that was always a desire. Uh, I love the sport of basketball. I played all growing up. That's why I pivoted into health and fitness when I went to college and I was my playing days were over and then I still wanted to be active and be healthy and be fit. So um I always wanted to get back to the sport. Even when I was uh, teaching high school, um, there, I had an opportunity to coach them, but I didn't take it because I was so busy trying to get the business off the ground. You know, so I'd never been in a life season until right now, which I kind of forced myself into the life season to be able to have its actual time to go back and to invest in young people and coach a sport that I love, be around the sport, but be around the youth again. Um, so yeah, this past season, I decided to coach basketball. I never wanted to be like the wealthy assistant coach who pops in one day a week, you know, and, uh, just donates a bunch of money to the program or whatever. I wanted to be a legitimate, in part from donating my resources, uh, to the, to the school and to the program. Uh, the most important resource that I wanted to be able to give was my time and my story, my life experience to be able to challenge these kids, uh, to see that, you know, the sky's the limit for what they can accomplish, much like them. I came from very humble beginnings, as I shared. You know, I came from a family that there's nobody who you look at and say, oh, that person's a successful individual. I, I grew up in until I was 12 years old. My parents paid $25,000 for the house that I grew up in. And then we moved into a $100,000 house. And I thought, like, whoa, like we were. We're, (laughs) We made it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A little subdivision. We have a garage (laughs) now. We have a carport. This is epic. Um, So, you know, my point of reference in all of it is very similar to where a lot of these kids that I'm coaching are. They, they, a lot of them come from even, you know, more scarce resources than I have. Well, I'm watching their faces, man, as you're putting them on your G4 jet for the first time. They're (laughs) flying private and it is changing their lives because they're just, and they're so proud. They got their uniforms on. Like, it's like they're taking- Spans their mind, you know? Yeah. Um, I I couldn't imagine how how much faster I would have been where I wanted to go if I had a mentor like that in my life when I was younger to show me that like, holy crap, you could come from the same type of situation that I came from and- now your mind is being expanded to the idea of like flying on a private jet. My first private jet that I flew on, I was probably 35 years old. Um, it's probably six, seven years ago, something like that. And it wasn't a G4, a heavy jet. It was a little, you know, 
tur- turbo twin jet, <laughs> you know, yep. that's it. And that was cool. That was still super cool to be able to not go through security and go out on a tarmac and get on. But I mean, very different experience for, you know, a 16 year old to be getting on a heavy air luxury aircraft yep. with, a, you know, its own flight attendant and pilots and, um, catering and all that stuff it was pretty wild uh but more than anything i spoke to them before we got on the plane for the first time and it kind of gave them this like this 10 minute uh speech about you know what is your why why are you doing this and for me it was really about the i knew that if i became successful i'd be able to be a lot more generous in my life you are one of the most generous by far by far like just so everybody listening understands how generous joel is that's your new nickname by the way generous joel uh (laughs) I get a call like on a Wednesday, like random. Uh, what are you doing next week? I said, I don't know. He said, all right, I'm sending a jet to get you. <laughs> so what? And he goes, we're going to fly all of us to Cabo. I rented a, a big boy house on the cliff with private chefs. I'm sending the jet. <laughs> I'm like blown away. What friend calls you and says, I'm sending the jet? Generous Joel. That's your friend. So how did we get here, man? Because like, look, this, this podcast is all about making money, having fun. Obviously, you know, it's cool to watch a guy in that rolls around in flip-flops 99% of the time making that type of income and then making his money matter and making the impact. So how did you get here? What was the shift in mindset? And then technically, what did you do to like get your first million bucks and then start to scale from there? Yeah. So the motivation originally was one, I wanted to be able to just live a generous life. And I knew that it's kind of hard to do that if you don't have anything to give. You know, obviously you give your time, you can give your advice and give all that. But if you don't have the monetary resources, it's difficult to really make the maximum impact. So that was really my motivation for my family, first and foremost. Um, the first, my first full year in business, I made like $700,000 net. That was coming off of a high school teacher's salary of 42500 And then, you know, turn around and I made 700 grand net. And then I had a big tax bill and I didn't know what the hell was going on. But like, I took almost all the profit that I made that year and reinvested it back into my parents. I paid off their house. I bought them both new cars. And um, I just wanted to say thank you for everything that you did for me to provide for me all the whole time that, you know, I was growing up to put me in private school. My mom, my parents sacrificed put me in a small Christian school that was probably, I don't know, tuition was back then. I know I pay for my kids, but probably six to $8,000 a year or something like that. My household income was like probably $55,000 a year between both of my parents. We didn't go on vacations, but, um, you know, my mom prioritized getting me a private godly education. Um, my two best friends to this day are, uh, kids, that I met there, um, you know, men now, grown men now, both been best men in each other's weddings. All three of us, the two of us have been double best men in, in all the weddings and, you know, we've been friends for 35 years. And I don't think I would have had those experiences and there's teachers that are going to be, I'm getting remarried now. And I have several teachers of, uh, from middle school and high school that are going to be at my wedding. Yeah, know, that's which awesome. Is, which is awesome to uh, have lifelong relationships like that from from mentors and from friendships that have lasted a lifetime. So my parents sacrificed a lot, and I want to be able to give. How back did you to make? Them. How did you make the seven hundred k? So you see my head and my shirt, right? And this is kind of rich in relationships. Rich in relationships, yeah. Um, I knew I was smart enough to know, and I don't even know where I learned this, but I was. I remember, I guess it was just was a little bit of common sense to me that if I was connected with the right people that I would be able to get to where I'm going a lot faster. So 
Um, I started off writing articles for health and fitness magazines. I won a big body transformation contest when I was in college. I got my foot in the door of the publishing industry. Uh, and even that, I mean, I have a whole failure story uh, that I've told on lots of different podcasts where my first 30 articles were rejected and, you know, then, then I got one published and then, you know, that one win leads to another win. And next thing you know, I've had hundreds of articles published, but if most people after probably the first four or five rejections, they're like, yeah, this is probably not for me. I'm just going to stick with being a teacher. Um, so I plowed my way through that and then ultimately had a book published. The book flopped in the traditional marketplace. I had a hundred thousand dollar advance. Uh, I had high hopes. I thought this was my going to be my career path to where, I was going to be a best-selling author and just churn out sequels and, you know, every come out with two books a year or something like that and make four or 500 grand a year. And, you know, I'd be the wealthiest person that I have ever grew up around. Um, well, that didn't happen. Book didn't perform. And the biggest lesson that I learned from the failed book project was that I didn't know how to sell books myself. And then if I knew how to sell books myself and I had my own audience and I understood marketing, then it, I wouldn't be worrying about what the publisher did or didn't do for me. You know, all the promises that they made in the pitch meeting and all this stuff and all the TV that they were going to have access to that ultimately didn't materialize. Um, I could have sat there and blamed them. And this is a very valuable lesson for people who are listening. You're going to have things that don't work out in your life. And the only person that you should be blaming or pointing the finger back at is yourself because there's always something to learn in a different way that you could approach it to where you could be successful next time. Sure, the publisher didn't deliver a lot of things that they said, but again, if I understood marketing and I knew I had my own email list and I had my own audience, I knew I would have been able to sell my own book. So that's when I became obsessed with marketing. I had uh, a couple guys that I was friends with through the magazine circuit who were selling eBooks and it was like side income for them or making a few thousand dollars a month. But I'm like, man, if I can just go all in on this eBook thing and learn marketing and I can make even 10 grand a month, I'm like, that's going to be like, more two and a half times my teacher salary and then i'm going to be doing what i love to do and i have more freedom and all that stuff so i just got real creative i hired my first coach uh, a guy by the name of craig ballantyne who was actually our first member love craig the, shout out to craig in the uh, 100 million mastermind he was, was my coach and then when we started our mastermind he was actually the first paying member of that mastermind um so it just goes to show, you know, like you hired him <laughs> and then years later when yeah, you yeah, launch a student, mastermind. And by the way, that mastermind is a hundred thousand dollars to join. Right. And, yeah, uh, and I Craig, had written a 10K check to be a part of, you know, his small group at the time and to have him as a coach. And which is was, probably 10K uh, you didn't even oh, have. Oh, I swiped your credit card for it. You know, yeah. and I had to like apply for multiple credit cards actually to be able <laughs> to pay for that. So here I am going in credit card debt, but I knew that. This was a guy who's very connected in the space that I wanted to be connected in. So if he knows everybody, and he also obviously is running a successful business, I could learn the ins and outs of running that business from him, and I can get connected with other people that I want to get connected with in this space through him. So it was a check that was very, it was an investment in myself, and it was a check that was um, one of the smartest checks that I ever, ever written. Yeah, we call that a calculated risk, <laughs> right? Right. It's not, yeah. you're not just uh -huh. gambling. You, right. You're actually... You had a strategy. Yeah, you have to believe in yourself too, right? Because yeah. of a, there's a lot of people that join masterminds and we've seen it throughout our own group. They think that just writing the check is going to all make, make them successful. You, you, I, I can put you in the room. I can teach you all the things. I can connect you with all the right people. But ultimately, you're the one that's got to do the work. You got to believe that you can do it, right? So I had a high uh, amount of self-belief in my ability to be successful if I just knew what to do. And if I was around the right people. Did that so, come from probably your sports background? Or you think you're born with that? Uh, it was probably a little bit of both. 
I definitely understood the power of team. You can do more together. Yeah. Um, and if you had the right coaches, the right mentors, they can help, you know, which I, which I had growing up. And something, like I said, some of these teachers, uh, who, who will be at my wedding, I'm 41 years old now. And, um, I understood, I understood, like I got further in every era of my life through the help of somebody else. Right. So I wanted to fast track myself to being successful. So long story short, I end up, I, I connected with Craig. He connected me with multiple other people. Um, I kind of had this, this little hit list of the top 20 vendors on ClickBank was a large, um, platform oh, yeah. that everyone was affiliate platform and a vendor platform where people were selling information products. They're now and do a lot of physical goods, but at the time it was all digital stuff. So if somebody wanted to teach a course on how to make money or real estate flipping, like they have all these different categories, but health and fitness is the biggest category because it's such a mass market category. Um, so I had the top 20 people that I wanted to connect with and through Craig, and then also just kind of picking them off one by one, um, you know, with some additional efforts that I made of just showing up and adding value in relationships without asking for anything. You always try to serve first. I talk about when, uh, when you meet somebody new or you connect with somebody, you open up a relationship bank account with that individual at the first handshake, right? Or at the first email exchange or whatever. And I want to make lots of deposits in that account before I ever ask for a withdrawal. Because what happens if I open an account, don't make any deposits, and then try to take a withdrawal? There's nothing there to withdraw, right? So it's generally not going to work out. It's just like everybody who DMs you goes, Joel, will you mentor me? Right. Like right away, (laughs) it's about them, right? It's like, uh, bro, I don't know. I'm like, okay, you know how many, how much time I have? None. And like, you know, unless it's something that I really want to make the time for, but why would I want to make time for that? There's no value exchange here. How are you showing up for me? How? So when I would reach out to people, I reached out with a very simple email um, that was really all about them and serving them. And the, I didn't have a, an email list at the time. I didn't have a business at the time. But what I did have was relationships with magazines that were popular in the space. So you got creative. Yeah, I was I was on the training advisory board at Men's Fitness, and I had a little you know, anytime I wanted to publish something in the magazine, I knew the editor very well and, and I put together good content. So I'd reach out to the, these top guys on, on ClickBank and I would say, uh, I'd find my way to their email address somehow uh, or even send a message to their help desk if I couldn't find an email. Buy their course, get the customer support <laughs> right, email exactly, exactly, instead of an email. Exactly. And yeah, smart. I would send an email that said, uh, Joel Marion from Men's Fitness would love to interview you for the magazine. That was my subject line. And then I would praise them and compliment them for what they're doing in the industry, ask for a review copy of their program that I was willing to give an expert testimonial for, and then also set up some time that maybe I could uh, interview them and publish something in one of these magazines that I was affiliated with. Dude, that's like a super hack. Because think about that. Hey, I want to interview for a magazine. I need a review of your course. (laughs) So now you get the free course. (laughs) And I'm going to give you a testimonial. So you get that in exchange for 10. Now you're building value both ways. Right. Yeah, so I uh, one of my huge breakthroughs, apart from you know paying and investing to do with Craig Ballantyne, was another guy, Mike Geary, who is also a member of our mastermind. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's really cool. As you see, like I started off as a as a relative nobody in this space, and then years later, because of relationship, we started a mastermind. And the first 50, 60 people who cut a hundred thousand dollar check to be a part of that, only because I've had such a great relationship with them, and anything that I ever put in front of them was to help them win. You know, I was just helping them win over and over and over again. So when I said, "Hey, I got this mastermind, it's hundred thousand dollar investment, but we're going to help you turn that hundred thousand into multiple seven figures of value," are you are you in? And everyone's like, "Yeah, well, Joel's 
Joel's never steered me in the wrong direction before. So you have a track record of helping people stack wins. And this is just like another one. It's an easy check for people to write at that mm-hmm. point through years of, uh, you know, creating these relationships. And then also who, what my, who my, my name credibility in the industry at this point and all of that. Um, but going back to Mike, I sent him one of these uh, things about reviewing his program and getting in, into men's fitness. And uh, I said, hey, I have a, another thing that I had was my print book, which was a little bit of credibility because these ebook guys, uh, you know, that they looked at that the print magazine world and the print book world as like, while they are making way more money doing the self-publishing thing, there's still that street credit that comes with like having a physical book that's in the bookstores. So I said, Mike, let me send you a copy of my um, of my book so you can see, you know, one of my work. Um, what's your what's your address? And it just so happens he shot back his address was in Morristown, New Jersey. And I lived in Burlington, New Jersey, which was 10 minutes down the road. So I said, and this is the number one guy. Yeah, on Bank, The number one guy by far. It's like number one, there's a big gap between number one and number two. I mean, these... I don't know if you remember that Alexa toolbar that used to show your website ranking mm-hmm. for traffic. And Mike was like on the entire internet. Mike was like in the top 300 websites on the internet, you know, where like Yahoo was like number four, you know, and Google was the number one website. But like to be ranked in the top 300, that's anybody else's website that I was checking was like a good ranking was like 90,000, you know, um, relative to the entire internet. But this guy was in the top 300. And the next guy down was probably ranked 50,000 or something. So I said, hey, Mike, I, I live 10 minutes from you. Why don't we just go meet up at, at PJ's on Route 31 or whatever? And uh, and uh, I'll give you the book in person and grab a beer with you. So he said, yeah, I'll just, I'll meet you, you know, Tuesday next week or something. How's that? So I went there. He spent two hours with me, um, just talk shop helped me understand the business. And he said, hey, we're, we're always looking for more nutrition information. So this whole ebook thing that you're doing, we're doing really, really well. Um, but most of the other products on ClickBank were, were in the exercise and stuff, workouts and stuff. So he said, we really need more. Uh, he's like, so any way I can help you as you're launching this thing, you let me know. And he's like, because uh, it, it could be a big win-win and we could sell a lot of copies of it for you. And he had just, was just telling me that the... Our other mutual friend, Isabel De Los Rios, who's, again, another member of the Mastermind when it started, um, they had just sold like 1,500 copies of her new program called The Diet Solution when that came out. So um, it's just one by one. Then he invited me to my friend Vince Delmonte's birthday party. It was his 30th birthday party in New York City. And and he said, hey, you want to come with me? You drive up with me and I'll introduce you to some other people in the space. And Vince was on my list of people I wanted to connect with. So... One by one, I started to make all the right relationships. And then fast forward about eight months later, I was launching this ebook. Uh, I had all my marketing ducks in a row. I really was burning the candle at both ends, educating myself on marketing and taking all the right courses from all the direct response legends like Jeff Walker, product launch formula, and Frank Kern, mass control. And then this guy, Yannick Silver, who I learned copywriting from. And even that, like that was a $2,000 course uh, copywriting course, which I didn't have another two grand. I'm like, man, I just put 10 grand here. I got to find ways to like make this happen a little bit easier. So I ended up buying the course on eBay for like 180 bucks. I used a used course and uh, went through that entire copywriting course. And then next thing you know, like after this launch happened, I became known as like one of the top copywriters in the fitness industry, one of the top, la- top launch guys in the fitness industry because I did this launch 
And before, I think like the highest anyone had done with with a product launch and a, you know these three day three day sales that people do like launch day, then the intermediary day, and then like the deadline day um, was like a couple hundred grand. And we did like six hundred thousand dollars in sales in three days. And that that like immediately put me on the map. I had all these customers that came in. I started building an email list, and that's when I knew that like okay, I'm I'm good. Like I I understand marketing. I have an audience now. I have support of all these people in the industry, and I just got seven, eight thousand customers. Um, and now I got an email list because the next day I went and promoted one of Craig Ballantyne's fitness programs for a commission. I think I made like eight hundred bucks in commission or something like that. So I'm like, look, I do the math. I can make somewhere between five hundred thousand dollars a day doing this, and then do refill the bucket every few months with another product launch. I'm like, man, I, I could be making twenty, thirty, forty grand a month. You know, before you know it. So I resigned from uh, <laughs> teaching, finished the year out, and then I moved down to Florida. Another big motivator for me to be successful was I wanted to get the hell out of New Jersey. I born and raised in South Jersey. It was dark at four o'clock in the wintertime. I had seasonal affective disorder real bad. I don't know how anyone doesn't have seasonal affective disorder when you live there. I mean, you're, I wasn't in Maine or anything, but still, I mean, it was 20 degree days are super common and it's, it's dark when you wake up. It's dark when you get out of work. Um, the only time you see the sun is if you go on your lunch break or something and nobody wants to go outside on a lunch break because it's 20 degrees. <laughs> so, so you had this massive win, which was, I mean, and, and that's a very similar story to me in the real estate education space. You know, it's like I had all these failures and then I finally had one offer yeah. to pop, put me on the map, made a bunch of affiliates money. Now they're taking my calls. They're paying attention. They're they're including me in their conversations and mm -hmm. other launches and things. And now I'm, I'm like breaking my way into the good old boys club. And uh, and I was building an email list. And was that your first like aha moment of like the power of an email list? Yeah, because we did this launch and we, you know, I followed Jeff Walker's formula, which was you build a pre-launch list and you get your launch partners to promote this free giveaway, um, which was a, a free downloadable ebook that got people on a pre-marketing list and you marketed them for two weeks. And then you had this urgency scarcity built sale where they get the program at a discount, but you're educating them for, for the two weeks prior. So I built like a 15,000 person email list just from the pre-launch. And then I got another 8,000 customers. So here I'm sitting about 25,000 people on my email list. And I had a, a few thousand on it before that. So, um, you know, 30,000 people on an email list. And again, I'm hitting send and I'm seeing, okay, 800 bucks, 1200 bucks. 400 bucks there, you know. And just it's for just, clicking some buttons on somebody else's offer. Right. You were affiliate marketing yeah, to your became, little email list that you finagled together. Exactly. And just so everybody understands where, where the end game goes, mm. what's the size of your email list right now? Well, the Biotrust list when we sold the company was about 22 million uh, records. And I have two other businesses. One's about 8 million records and the other one's about 3 million. So, so just put that in perspective, <laughs> folks. There's potential. I mean, I, am I allowed to say what you can make off of a 20 million person email list? Yeah, we give some ballpark figures, some ranges. Yeah, Cause I mean, he, this he, guy, he, I'm <laughs> telling you, he, he sits in his flip-flops and his board shorts. Like this is how this dude rolls in South Florida. And even though he sold BioTrust, he still has an email list, his own, his own email list that he's been building over time. He said 8 million and 2 million mm -hmm. or something. And, uh, and people pay you now to market their products and services to your email list. Right. I've done it. I've actually paid you, you know, twenty-five dollars to $35,000 to get a single drop, depending right. on the size of the list. Right. And, uh, and you know what? Why would I do that? Because if I 
give you 25 grand and my offer converts to your massive list, I can make 50 grand, double my ROI. Or even let's say I only make back 20 of my 25 grand, but now a bunch of your people from your email list came over to my email list. They're hyper-engaged, active email users. They open emails, they engage with emails. It's only a matter of time before I go into the positive. Yeah, And so it's like, now I'm growing my list. I have about a million people on my email list, about 350,000 that are super hyperactive, meaning they open an email within the last, let's call it 30 days mm-hmm. or 45 days mm-hmm. and, and lots of clickers and stuff. Last year, um, I sent out 54 million emails, made $10.8 million right. from my email list. Yeah. Uh-huh. Give me your stats. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends on what, on what <laughs> I niche get, you're I, in and the real estate is going to perform a little different than health and fitness. But for us, if uh, we, we would target on customer lists somewhere around $3 per subscriber, per active subscriber per month on for customers. And then on uh, leads, we'd target anywhere from 50 cents to a dollar, depending on where the leads came from. So you do the math. I mean, we have 22 million records, but we weren't always emailing all of them. We'd, reactivate names, but we we look at our active segment was about between four and five million with Biotrust. Um if I got greedy and tried to just blast all of them, then my email delivery would turn to crap. And next thing you know, my a very valuable asset would would become not very valuable at all. A lot of a lot of times people talk about the the size of their list. And it's not really the number, it's more how responsive is the list. What's the quality of the list? What's your email delivery look like? I'd rather have uh, a very hyper-engaged list of a million people than 10 million that uh, is is very low quality and struggles with delivery and has lots of people who are hitting spam complaints because you're not, you know, setting expectations properly with them and you're not uh, purging your list of inactive subscribers. And, you know, email ultimately comes down to a lot of people say email's dead, but Email is very much alive if you know what you're doing with it. If you don't and you're just hitting send and you think every, just because they're, they signed up for your email list. That that means that you should be emailing them. Um, you're going to have a hard time in the email game because permission-based email is, is that's the first step. <laughs> the second step is taking a look at all your metrics and then making sure you're sending to the right people. You're the learning people. how to segment, right? learning exactly. how to click, scrub the list, keep it clean. You were one of the, this is when I said you were, you've personally moved the needle for me. It's not because you invest in my properties and projects and stuff or just, you know, other coaching. It's you, you gave a presentation one time. So many of our listeners reach out and they ask us how they can get involved in my actual real estate deals. Our investment firm specializes in finding deeply discounted properties, acquiring them, renovating, stabilizing both single family and multifamily properties all over the United States. That's why we're so excited to share with you clevercapitalfund.com. Now, if you have some investment capital and you want to deploy it and receive double digit returns backed by real estate, then visit our website and see which fund is right for you. We have both equity funds and we have debt funds where you just get paid out every month like clockwork. All you got to do is visit www.clevercapitalfund.com today to learn more. At the 100 mil, where you broke down like your view of how emails should be done from subject lines to deliverability rates and spam, overcoming spam complaints, making sure you understand the create, creative hacks on um, sender names, from names, mm-hmm. headlines, length of copy, landing page design, color schemes, like all this stuff that you've been like a scientist in the lab, like nerding out on for a long time. (laughs) Uh, Give us a couple like email tips or tricks that you're willing to give away to to my followers. Yeah, I mean, the- Because by the way, 
as a side hustle, this is not Joel's main business. He can easily make with his email marketing and doing affiliate hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars passively. Yeah. Every single yeah, month. Yeah. Fortunately, I, I used to be kind of a, a guy who was obsessed with doing everything until I learned finally that other people are capable. <laughs> you don't have to do everything in your business. So in my email business, um, I pop back in there every once in a while uh, to do some really ninja stuff on reactivation or, but like if I want to just chill, I have a guy who runs the day to day. One team member? Yeah. One guy who runs the, the bulk of everything. And then I have a couple other team members, customer service. And then I have one other guy who's my data analyst who helps slice and dice all the data from our media buys and all that so that we can, I'm obsessed with scale. You know, scale is, it's always been, how do I rinse and repeat and just get more and more coming in all the time? And if I know my numbers, I know that like, hey, if I can pay $2 a lead, even though I'm making 80 cents up front, uh, that's pretty scary for people to do that at scale because you're losing a buck 20 every lead you're requiring. And if you get 100,000 leads in a month, you just lost $120,000. Uh, at least it looks that way up front. But we know the numbers that in 90 days, that turns at 80 cents turns into $2. And then in another 90 days, that $2 turns into $3 and 50 cents. So I'm a buck 50 positive on all that. And when I just bought a hundred thousand leads, now I made $150,000, just a waiting game, you know? Yeah. So it's like, how deep are you willing to go to build the list? Because you build your list, like, and you taught me this email. It's, it's good to build an email list from other emails, Yeah. other email lists, because pulling them off social is fine. We abandoned all of the other paid channels. Sure. I try to get people from my social channels to opt into my email list, you know, where there's no direct ad spend, but anything that I was paying from was all within the email channel. And there's so many different platforms and ways of doing that. There's obviously affiliate marketing where somebody can promote a lead generation page of yours, send you a bunch of leads. You pay them a cost per lead. There's email drops where, you know, I can pay to rent somebody else's list, just like you've done with mine. We rent our list out, but we also rent plenty of other lists where it's, they're the sender and they're just promoting our content. Right. So that's that's how you keep growing your list and adding fresh names and Yes. Because people yeah, who open emails. them all from other email lists. And that's the highest quality way to go. So many people don't do anything from email to email list. And they'll just just run Facebook ads for lead generation. Well, some of those can end up being good email um, subscribers and customers. But you, you don't know that a Facebook, somebody who responds to a Facebook ad is actually going to be responsive on email. They might be really responsive on social or on Messenger but they're not that responsive on email. I know 100% of the time that if I'm scraping from somebody else's email list, meaning an email list is promoting one of my opt-in pages, um, one of my lead generation pages, and they're clicking on somebody else's email, then they're coming to my landing page and putting that same email address that they just clicked on, opened and clicked on a link. I know it's an active email. So I get much higher quality names. And again, if I, I could, you know, I got real... You can kind of get into the numbers game. And I was doing this co-reg thing seven, eight years ago with a, a lead source that was only 11 cents a lead. And it looked like on paper that it was backing out. And I was getting 50,000 leads a day, a day, 50,000 leads a day. And um, it was all working out because it looked like in 30 days, even they were worth 15 cents. So I'm like, man, I'm like uh, 20, 30% positive on these. But over time, there was, there was only like, 
you're paying 11 cents a lead because 90% of the, of what you got coming in was junk, you know, and they never opened or clicked on an email ever. And then at 10% that actually took action and ended up being worth a couple dollars each. That's when they balanced it all out to be worth 15 cents, you know? Yeah. And, and um, co-reg just for everybody mm-hmm. listening is essentially I'm on a website. I'm for whatever reason, opting in to buy or download something. Survey takers is what it was. Okay. Yeah. Survey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fill out this survey and not only does the person that's putting out the survey get my information, but it also shoots over to a partner. Right. And that's co-registration. Right. And exactly. okay. All right. Give us some email tips real quick. Like just fire, because I want to move on to, you know, lessons you learned from buying a private jet yeah. and selling <laughs> a business real fast. And and I don't want to, you know, not everybody. Yeah. Talking. Just to wrap up that other thing, high volume, low quality is the last thing you want on email. Stay away from that. If you want to scale as much as you can with high quality leads. Um, that's the name of the game. And that's why we stuck to just taking people from only other email channels. If an affiliate is sending from their email list or um, buying or renting someone uh, else's on a paid drop or something from another email list, we find that that's the highest quality leads. And there's plenty of scale. I can get all the way up to 22 million names on my email just by focusing on email channels. So email tips, I mean, um, just some simple things that you can do to dramatically increase responsiveness. The number one thing that there's two things that get people to open your email, right? There's subject line, which a lot of people focus on altering and the subject lines and uh, trying different things with subject lines. That's, that's, it's one of two things that people see in the inbox. The other one is the, who the sender is, right? So we did um, some interesting testing by just starting to send. So all the emails used to come at Biotrust used to come from Joel. It's in Joel Marion slash Biotrust. So, um, so when they received it, they would say, oh, Joel, send me an email. Right. And they got used so, to seeing that. Right. Exactly. So you're seeing Joel Marion every day, Joel Marion Biotrust, um, and it just becomes mundane. And, you know, it's, it's every day is the same thing. And the subject line is the differentiator. Then we split tested it where I just sent an email from our, our um, head of product development was a guy named Sean Wells. So it was a new product announcement. And I said, let's try this coming from Joel and then coming from the R&D guy. So we split tested at 50-50. One was just from Sean Wells and one was from Joel Marion. Well, the Sean Wells, because it was new and different, um, people hadn't used to seeing that name, even though it said Sean Wells slash Biotrust, so it still identified the sender of, of the company. So I understood it was a Biotrust email, but the who's Sean Wells? This big curiosity thing happened. And it got almost double the open rate. But then what happened next was even more crazy People were a lot more engaged in actually reading the email, and we knew that because it got double the click rate of the email. So double the open rate and then double the click rate, if you do the math on that, that's four times the number of clicks compared to Joel Marion sending the email. So I'm like, holy crap, I just discovered something pretty gnarly here. That You could double your business, mm-hmm. right? basically. Exactly. Just I just changing four us. times the revenue on that email by changing the name of the sender. So then we started playing with from names and we just started getting real creative. And, you know, you've seen ones where we send an email from your belly or something like that. Yeah. Well, um, sender, avocado. Right. Right. <laughs> You're exactly. like, what? Exactly. Yeah. We, we have all different kinds. And, and we always, if you want to stay completely above board and out of the crosshairs of regulators and all that stuff, just always identify the sender. You can use your cute from name. You can put avocados slash biotrust. You know? Yeah. And after you taught me that, I was like, you were literally teaching me in real time. I'm texting mm-hmm. my team saying on the next, because I was doing mm-hmm. a mentoring push at the time. I said, on the next mentoring email, send it from your future dash CI. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, your future. And I wrote a quick email uh, while I was sitting there listening to you on all coming from like, as if it's your future. Yeah. Right. 
and, or I did, I tried one, your shoulder, right? And the theme of the email was like, you know, uh, what, what would it be like to look over Cody's shoulder, or it was Cody's shoulder, right, to yeah. look over <laughs> Cody's shoulder and watch every move he made. Um, one of them was from your bank account. Right. I tried all these different things. Our, mar- that single mentoring campaign brought in a couple hundred extra thousand dollars just by changing uh, the, the, the sender name. name. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. And that's one simple thing that you can do. The other, the other big thing I just say is just be mindful on who you're sending to. If you, unsophisticated senders just blast their whole database and they wonder why, oh, email's dead. No one's, no one's opening emails anymore. I get 2% open rates on my emails. Well, that's because all your messages are going to promotions folder in Gmail, or they're going to the spam box, or they're being blocked completely, or they're being throttled to where it takes four or five days just to get your message delivered. And whatever you were sending out that was timely on Monday is over by Friday. So, so you're saying scrub your yeah. unresponsive, non-clicker, non-openers. Yeah, so it's just a good rule of thumb uh, in this in this day and age. And Apple, so, the changes happen all the time. If I gave this two years ago, my advice is different than it is today, right? Because so much changes. Really, you're going to look at clickers nowadays. It's really the the, uh, the metric that really matters because there's a lot of bot opens that happen on all iPhones. Anyone who uses the mail app, as long as the mail gets downloaded, then it automatically triggers an open. Yeah, um, I didn't know that's, that. That's why you see open rates these days are 40, 50%. I was going to say, yeah. mine, mine are now 48%. You're, yeah. you're, you're hurting my ego right now. I thought <laughs> I was just a really good copywriter. <laughs> yeah, so the thing that you, I mean, opens, you, I pay attention to them. I just always make sure I, I, I've i narrowed that. I used to be 90-day openers that we look at, and now we narrowed that way down to 30-day openers because of all these bot opens. I don't want to extend it out too far. If I got 90 days of bot openers, I'm starting to, get, you know, low, lower quality names so that when somebody does actually open an email, they, had, they don't remember who I am. They don't remember signing up for the email list. So they'll just click spam. And then next thing you know, it affects the rest of your deliverability. So 30-day openers. And we we saw that you can go out to 180-day clickers now since that's the really the, the big metric. Um, and in certain platforms like like Gmail, we've even pushed it out further to, to 365-day clickers on Gmail because we have pretty good delivery and it's all based on the results what works for me isn't necessarily going to applicable to you You have to do your own diligence and test yourself but for us we have good delivery at gmail already and we have good domain reputation ip address reputation and so we're allowed to extend that clicker segment out to a year and you'll you'll find that if you start um doing let's see hygiene one you're you're going to be like, holy, it's going to kill your uh, your ego at first when it's like, oh, I got 150,000 people on my email list. But that's when you just blast everybody. Now I'm like, let me look at the people who have really been active in the last 180-day clickers. I'm like, oh, crap, it's only 40,000 people. And you're like, man, I'm just going to kill my revenue if I don't. Like, guess what? <laughs> the other 110,000 people... Never <laughs> click or open or buy anyway. open or spend any money anyway. So you're going to send to 40,000. You're going to make the same amount of revenue. And then you're actually going to begin to increase your delivery inbox placement, your reputation as a as a sender, your domain reputation, your IP address reputation. So now you're going to be sending to 40,000. You're going to be making way more than you are sending to 150,000. Yeah, and I just want to tie a bow on this and move on. But like when I realized that building a personal brand and all of the content creation and course creation and everything that I do in the online space is really designed to own an email list. 
Like the real business is email, yeah. text and email, because that's where the customer, that's where your relationship with the customer is formed. Yeah, they're, you're getting the credibility on social and yeah, can you do a call to action, action on social and get some sales? Sure, but it's getting harder and harder. The algorithm is working against you, but when you got them in an email list and they come off of that social into your world and you're doing a newsletter, which was another advice that you, a uh, tip that you gave me. I started doing a newsletter every Monday in my, uh, open rates and click through rates, everything skyrocketed just because there was there was no sales ever yeah. in the in the in the newsletter, and they uh, they really enjoyed reading the content in it. Mm -hmm. But it, it, that was the game, and that's when things shifted for me. I'm like, okay, I need to get good at building content with a call to action to get them into an email. I got to create lead magnets to get them off of this over into my email. I yeah. got to find strategic email partners that I can buy drops on their email list to get them into my email list. Guys, if you have an email list, you can do affiliate marketing. Last week, I did a, a, I launched one of my new offers just to my internal email list. And in two hours, made 100 Gs. Mm -hmm. It's like where, printing money. It's literally like printing money. Where else can you do that? Yeah. <laughs> that's like crazy. So like, that's what I meant by like, this guy's able to like chill in his flip-flops and make hundreds of thousands of dollars per month as a part-time side hustle with one main team member and he only pops in every once in a while the true like one hour work week yeah i mean like and this is the, the luxury that i have now having this asset in an email list is generally like if, if there's like something that i want to buy and it costs like i want to buy something that costs 10 grand I'm like, okay well just christian send another email tomorrow done <laughs> paid for you know it, 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 that email will generate more than ten thousand dollars to pay for whatever it is so like anything that i want to do or if i just want to be a blessing to somebody else Oh, my fiance's family member needs some help with whatever. Okay, Christian, just send another email. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It, it's, it just so hopefully, takes care of all of it. Yeah. Hopefully people listening to this maybe get a little inspired to start educating themselves on direct response marketing and email marketing, copywriting. All right, you, 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 you now are doing all this cool stuff. You're making money. You build a reputation. You launch BioTrust. You scale this thing to the freaking moon and eventually you sell it. Okay. And that's a whole podcast in itself. We don't yeah. have time to go into yeah. the, like, I, I would love to unpack yeah, it was that. It a five-year plan that took 10 years. So <laughs> that's another whole journey. That's a whole thing. <laughs> and I would love to unpack that in a future podcast. We can have you back. But I want to talk about that taxable event. You, you're, you're finally at the finish line. Yep. You're going to make nine figures on this exit, you and your business partner. And right. you had only, it was just the two of you. Yeah, yeah. no investors. Yeah. Yeah. And we owned the 100%, 100% besides a little bit that we gave, you know, I think 8% of the company that we gave uh, off the top to our team who was with us, you know, C-level executive team and even some VPs. Um, the 92% of the rest of the company we owned outright. Yeah. And you had about what, 100, 200 members? Team members uh, at the time of the sale was about 160, I think. 160 team members. So I mean, we're, you we're up to over 250 at one point in time, but we're a little bloated. When we're so you you have this sale. You're about to come into some serious big boy money. How do you? What was your thought process to get rid of that taxable event? Well, um, I did do some consulting with our mutual friend Jim Dew's team, uh, who were brought on. Who Shout out to Jim Dew. He's from Arizona as well. Yeah, he's uh, Do Wealth, D E W Wealth, uh, great great resource. He owns a company that does virtual family offices. So, from anybody who's making anywhere from a million dollars up a year, uh, there's a different level of, of the program for them. I'm at the highest level of management, but I think I pay six grand a month. And the amount of money that these guys, I just had an airplane audit 
for for sales tax in the state of Florida. And we believe that we did everything properly to avoid the having to pay sales tax. It was operated by a Delaware company. We closed um, we closed out of state in a tax-free state. Uh, but there's still some gray area and all of that. And if you get audited, you know, it's up to the auditors to decide ultimately if you owe the tax or not. And, uh, Jim Deuce team just helped me handle that. I just literally handed it over to them, the audit, and they took care of the whole thing. And then they let me know that, you know, my $330,000 tax bill, um, is the, they closed the audit and I don't owe any taxes. So that's beautiful to have yeah. good financial team members around you. Yeah. For like, six grand like a month, Jim. that's definitely worth it. And they do so much more from that. But anyway, I consulted with them. We talked about a lot of different strategies with donor advised funds and charitable stuff that we could do. And real estate, um, different, different ways of offsetting, uh, you know, your tax burden. Um, one, and one of the ways was what would, what would of your taxes have been in general? Like we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, fortunately it was taxed at capital gains tax, which we were rushing to get the sale of the company done before the end of 2021, because Biden was talking about hiking up capital gains tax, regular income, which none of that came to fruition. It was, uh, ended up being a moot point, but, um, at the time, you know, like we were racing the clock to make sure we only paid capital gains, which was 20% versus normal income, which in my tax bracket is, you know, 45 percentage. So um, it was nice that, you know, you can get a big pay, pay but we're looking at for sure uh, eight figures in taxes. But um, what it would have been if I didn't incorporate some of these strategies, uh, one of them was purchase, buying a plane. And I, there was, there's benefits to that. Uh, and I've through plain ownership, you get educated even more of what that really looks like. And then you learn, I would not tell somebody, Hey, don't do it. I would just say, do it differently than I did it. You know? Yeah. Because like when you think about like r- really wealthy people, like buying a big asset, a commercial building, a yacht, a plane, yep. they're trying to, they're, tr- they obviously would like the asset. And in your case, you were going to charter it, which, you know, when you talk to these charter companies, they all tell you, they talk a big game. We're going to put this thing into charter. You're going to make all this money. Right. It's going to be amazing. And, yeah. uh, and it's, you know, that's not necessarily the reality <laughs> when you actually own the plane, but they, yeah. it's not like you could talk to a bunch of other plane owners that are unhappy and have them talk you right out of it. Right. Uh, and so you decide one of the things you want to do, cause you've always wanted a private jet. So I'm going to, I'm going to buy a plane. And at the time, the plane, what are, what are, what were the planes costing at that time? Uh, the, I bought the plane for a little over four and a half, 4.6. Okay. 4.6 million. It was a, it was a G4. Yes. And it, but it was an older G4. Yeah. Brand, brand new, looked brand new, but yes, yeah, older year, 1993 G4. So it's a 30 year old plane at this point. If you understand, you know, when you get to understand about, um, private aviation, you know, that these planes that's the number the of man, data manufacturer, but stuff's getting replaced in them all the time. Engines and landing gear are getting overhauled and replaced and all that. So, so it's like the shell of the plane is old, but right. all the guts yeah. is, are newer. But then, you know, the avionics and all that stuff is still relatively dated compared to a newer plane. And there's always things breaking and going wrong. And they don't tell you about all that when you're buying the plane and how much of a money pit things can turn into. So they had two programs. One was a, you know, you own the P&L, you cover all the fixed costs, we'll charter it for you, we'll take 15% off the top of the charter revenue, and then the rest is yours. You have the upside of of making money on the plane if if the market and the, the how often we're flying it dictates that and the cost. 
So they're giving you like uh, expected performa. And right. are, are so they that's telling the other you thing. they're showing you the P&L's projections and we're, we've got these planes in the air, you know, 70 to 100 hours a, a, a month. And then it's I think the most they get my plane in the air was like 40 hours. You know, so that's like, like half. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, less. So yeah. that makes a big difference on the so if you So they're telling you, oh, you can make, you know, 50K a month, 100K a month. And you're thinking, okay, this makes sense. I get a taxable write off because I'm buying this big asset and you can cost seg a plane just right. like you can cost seg a building, right? You right. can accelerate the depreciation on it. Right. And uh, so you could buy this plane and four and a half million bucks and wipe out about how much in taxes was the goal? A little over 2 million, 2.2 million, something like that. Okay, so I could buy a $4 million plane, even though it's a little now older. I'm buying the plane, right? If I'm saving 2.2 million in taxes, I'm, I'm now buying the plane for, you know, 2.6, 2.4 million dollars. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah. They, what they don't tell you is it's only going to really truly charter 40 hours versus 70 or 80 or 90. Yeah. And so now you're actually going backwards every month when you thought you were going to be putting money in your pocket. The real reality is very quickly that can turn yeah, around. It was probably costing me 70 grand a month on average yeah, <laughs> for the first eight months that I owned it. Now you do the tax savings and I'm still in the positive on that, but it's not what I had signed up for. And from a cash flow perspective, I didn't want to be coming out of pocket. And I had one month was a $300,000 bill at the end of the month where I had to send them here's your owner statement. And I had to send them $310,000 or something like that. Now, granted, I took the plane to South Africa that <laughs> same month and all that, but you know, it's still not what yeah, you plan for. Right. And the reason I want to open this up is because a lot of us entrepreneurs, we dream of someday having the PJ yeah. and, uh, and, and, you know, you get talked into these charter companies. I was looking at buying one last year and they were like, tell me, talking a big game, how much oh, yeah. money I was going to make. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is brilliant. All my friends are buying private jets. I'm thinking, man, I'm up next, baby. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> Spurver's getting the PJ. And then yeah. I hear stories like this. And you're not the first person to tell me like, hey, the real reality is, yes, you can have a good tax savings. But what happens when one of your engines goes out? Yeah. So, I mean, there's scheduled maintenance that has to be done. And, and you have projections on maintenance. But when you have an older plane and an older airframe and you know, then they're finding corrosion on the wings and stuff like that when they're going in for an inspection that they would normally project that, like, hey, this inspection is going to cost you on average $200,000. Um, it's periodic maintenance. And then I got my plane sitting at the manufacturer, Gulfstream, and uh, it's got a $611,000 bill. And now it's a big fight between us and them on getting this plane back in the air and getting these getting truly what needs to be taken care of taken care of because obviously we want to have a safe plane to fly around but a lot of this stuff that they're just being you know super nitpicky about we got to convince them that we're not doing that and then we also they have to give it the, the stamp of approval to put it back in. Or they can ground the, it. Right, or they can ground it. Yeah, they say the plane's It's like going to a barber and be like, do I need a haircut? And yeah. they're like, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> right, you need yeah. a big, expensive $600,000 haircut. Right. I would freak out. Yeah. Because I would just be like, oh my God, there's no way. Well, I just think, you know, if you bought this as for a tax saving thing, right? And, uh, you know, the, the, you're kind of pushing it to in order to be able to do that. And then they're telling you you're going to make money, expecting to be an income earner. And it's costing you 70 grand a month. And then it goes in for an inspection, which you kind of budget, you set aside 200 grand for it. And then they tell you, oh, sorry, it's $611,000 uh, to get this thing back in the air. A lot of people that, that, that bankrupt somebody. You yeah. Know? They were like, man, like I could, there's no way in the world that I can even afford to pay that bill. 
Yeah. Fortunately, I'm not in that position, but still, it's not a you know, it's not the position that you want to be in. I don't care how much money you, yeah, you have or make; you never want to stroke that check. Yeah. Now, uh, if you could go back and do it all over again, ta- knowing the tax savings and all, all of that, would you do it again, or would you just charter? I'll buy a newer plane, probably something uh, that was a little more expensive because it's going to be newer, but it's going to have a lot less headaches attached to it with the age of the plane. The other thing that um, I have this thing under, so I got in at the at the worst possible time because the charter market was exploding. It was post COVID. The planes planes were going on the market, and just like the housing market, they were gone before they even hit the main MLS. You know, for planes. So before they even got on controller.com, like the, the, it was spoken for, somebody had a deposit on it, right? So I missed out on like three or four planes and I'm just getting pissed. Like, you know, I'm just, I got to get this done before the end of the year. So the next one comes up, you put a deposit down and the money goes hard right away. So you're, you're not getting your deposit. You're back. committed. Yeah, period. Yeah. It's it's no inspection, no this, no that. And uh, you close in seven days or, you know, those types of situations. So. I wouldn't get in, into th- quite that type of situation, but I did have a, a significant deposit on it, and then there's no financing contingencies or anything like that. And then I find out that for a 30 year old asset, it's almost next to impossible to get financing. Mm. So I had to dip into a line of credit. Unfortunately, I had that as an otherwise my deposit would have been gone, and then they would have sold the plane to somebody else. And what's the deposit on a plane like that? Uh, it was 400 grand. Yeah, you don't no. want to lose that. No, <laughs> no, that's brutal. Yeah. So if you could do it all over again, you buy, buy a newer a, plane, more newer expensive, plane, less headaches. Yeah, and I take the, the the tax write off, and I'd also what I did midway through the first year of ownership was I switched from the P and L program because what I learned is that the, the market is volatile; it can change at any time, and I'd rather get locked in on a lease program, a dry lease program, where I lease the plane to an operator, and they pay me; they cover all the fixed costs, and they pay me a check every month. So $35,000 a month for my point. It's obviously based on the value of the asset and, and all that. And they run their P&L numbers. So it was $35,000 a month lease that I've been collecting since August of last year. Um, so eight or nine months now. So you're uh, going in the hole, going in the hole. Then you switch programs. Now you're making 35 Gs guaranteed. Yeah. But you so still The cover- only thing is that you are responsible for all the day-to-day fuel, pilots, all the costs to operate, anything that breaks that's just unscheduled. What they have is called scheduled maintenance. And scheduled maintenance is at these particular time intervals. Then there's certain things that are due on the plane. One is like, okay, landing gear needs to get overhauled or replaced at this time interval, or at least inspected to see if it needs to be uh, replaced. Uh, so, so that's why your plane these, is sitting on the runway right now because you had yeah. a schedule. So this is a scheduled one that they yeah. budgeted two hundred thousand dollars for, and it's looking like it's gonna. It's well, it's six hundred eleven thousand right now. We'll probably be able to negotiate it down to like four hundred, but it's going to be double what I thought yeah. it was going to be. And so, it, even if you sold the plane right now, you're you're gonna you're gonna take a little L, little loss. Yes. Yeah. So, but I think over the, if you do it the right way and you do your diligence to make sure there's no major maintenance events that are coming up, you know, during the next four or five years of owning the plane, it's a typical amount of time that people will own an aircraft before, you know, trading it in or selling it. Um, If you know there's no major maintenance upcoming and you you got a a plane that isn't going to end up having a lot of headaches, so buy a newer, a newer asset, less than 15 years old, I say even less than 10, ideally. And um, you get the big tax write-off. You can get uh, put it on a lease program, get that check coming in. Because even if I get the check coming in, that's it's making me thirty-five grand a month. That's making me four hundred grand a month uh, a year in income. So even if I got a two hundred thousand dollars inspection, which is really the only thing that was supposed to be coming in the five years, 
Like that pays for the inspection in and of itself. And, you know, then when you want to fly the plane, then you pay, you know, a, a reduced rate as an owner. Yeah. So, so well, look, dude, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm learning on your dime, bro. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. Hey, hey, here's the good news. Joel is one of my private lenders and he lent on a deal and we're just closing out that deal. And I'm about to make you 180 G's. That's right. You lent me 600 grand. I'm about yeah. to pay you back 780, Yep. Uh, which is a, a nice 180 those return. Are, so you're welcome. I'm paying for <laughs> all of your mistakes on your plane. Dude, you're welcome very much. That, that Those are the types of deals that you want to be in, you know, and uh, you talked about, you get to learn on my dime and that's the value of mentorship and being connected with the right people and masterminds and stuff. It's one of the reasons why you said, yes, I'll, I'll do Avengers, Avengers with, with uh, you and Dan Joel so I can spend more time you and I get to learn things from you. I get to learn from your mistakes, right? I always tell people in these groups, you're going to learn from people's wins, but even more so, you're going to learn from people's mistakes. And if you can learn from their mistakes and not repeat those mistakes or or uh, have to fall victim to a mistake that somebody else made and steer clear of that, like that's worth the cost of admission even more so than the learning from the wins. One hundred percent. Yeah, and. Uh- Joel is a, a partner in Avengers, which is our real estate investing mastermind group. And uh, we have, you know, well over 100 members that all paid $35,000 to be in that group. And uh, Joel is actually in town right now because yes. we're hosting an event. We dipped away <laughs> to do this podcast, yeah. but I can't even describe to you the amount of income that is produced. I asked the question from stage yet uh, uh, yesterday. I said, how many of the members of this group have made money with each other, raise your hand. And almost every single hand went up. That's the power of a mastermind and being part of that collective. Uh, and I wouldn't have known these email hacks if I wasn't part of 100 mil in the mastermind. Yeah, I wouldn't have you as a private lender if we wouldn't have started this group together and, and been around each other, breaking bread, and also getting out of the business world, doing more fun things like going to Cabo, really getting to know you and your family and, and who you really yeah. are and generous Joel. Yeah, Joel. Um, all right, let's end this thing strong, man, because uh, we dropped a lot of knowledge on some of this stuff. If now that you've made all this money and I've been to your house, man, you've had, you had one of the biggest houses I've ever seen in my life, mm-hmm. like just over the top grandiose in Tampa, Florida. And uh, right now you and your fiance are, you bought a whole bunch of land. You're going to build this amazing compound and all this stuff. But right now you're living in a condo. Yep. How good does it feel to just simplify sometimes? We talked about this a little bit earlier, but like- Yeah, there's pros and cons to all that. I think uh, probably would appreciate a little bit more space than I have right now. Um, but I, don't, I definitely don't need the 20,000 square foot mansion with high-end finishes everywhere that requires uh, 20 people to be contractors and staff and handymans and cleaning ladies. And like, literally I have no privacy when I was at the other house because there was always somebody there. Always. Uh, we had a whole, a full-time handyman. We had a full-time, uh, housekeeper. We had a, a full-time chef. We had, uh, you know, contractors come in because the AC broke We had seven different air conditioners. So you know, at any given time, there's probably something happened with one of them. And, and then, you it's know, like luxury they, yeah. prison, man. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It really is. Exactly. And the amount of money that you end up putting into this stuff, the amount of people that have to be involved. And, um, my ex-wife, she, she, uh, she didn't work, but she was still stressed out because she managed the house, you know, and she's, and she's constantly, constantly meeting with contractors, constantly paying bills, constantly, you know, all the things that I say she didn't work, but the, I mean, the, the, the true truth is like she was just managing our estate, which was a full-time job and probably and, not and the, the kids most, and yeah. the estate. I mean, it's right. a lot and yeah. not the most enjoyable one either. So, you know, I've 
one of the things I learned from you know my my marriage was that I wish I would have maybe we could have lived a little bit simpler and uh, so that she wasn't bogged down with so much of that stuff. And I would have really encouraged her to go find something that fills her bucket for her to be doing, uh, rather than the bucket just being drained. As much as you love your kids, the kids are are uh, you know one of the big primary sources of of stress in your life because they just they have so many needs that you have to meet right and you do it because you love them but if all you're doing is take care of kids 24 7 take care of a house 24 7 and uh you barely have time to come up to breathe then next thing you know you're very disconnected from your partner I'm, i'm building over here and she's trying to manage this while she's somewhat sinking and trying to bail water out of the boat constantly um and then next thing you know the the whole thing is falling apart and now she lives in that same house and with my kids and uh you know i have my kids half the time but you know we're in a much smaller situation and i still have desires we're planning on building this compound and we even reduced what that looks like we were, were having a rec center on there that was you know going to be uh an asset to events and other entrepreneur friends to be able to come and use it because i do that fills my bucket being around other people entertaining um and then we have this, these gyms that I could use for basketball training, which is really would fire me up nowadays. But then we're going to have this whole other house. It was going to be a $20 million project. And we really less than half the budget on all of it, just because we're like, why don't we just build a rec center, throw some bedrooms in there and just live there for a couple of years and then decide if we even want the rest of this stuff. I want to you be know? you someday, Joe, <laughs> where, where my downsize is a $10 million, <laughs> $10 million property on a on a massive estate. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned through going through my failed relationship with Shannon is I put her in her masculine. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. she was so task oriented for so many years because she would, I did the same thing, man. I, I almost identical. Not You were at a higher level, but like, I remember looking around being like, I built the most insane luxury prison. I got eight cars in the Mm-hmm. in the in the garage all you know millions of dollars worth of cars i'm in this multiple million dollar house on, on the lake i have people that water my plants i have assistance for assistance like it's right. like what yeah. the hell happened i'm this kid from mace arizona that was slinging drugs out of the the drive through mm-hmm. window at burger king in high school you uh-huh. know it's uh-huh. like and i came from nothing and i was just scrappy and all of a sudden you start accumulating and accumulating and you wake up one day and you're like i have no no privacy I can't stop this train. It is a ginormous expense month after month, whether I wanted it to go on or not. Right. I'd, w- I'd look around, I'd be like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I water your plants yeah. in my house. Right, 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 I'm like, right. how much am I paying you to water <laughs> right. my plants? Yeah, that's two yeah. grand a month. You're like, uh, you're fired? <laughs> like, yeah. that, I water so, my own plants? Uh, I built- But I put her in her masculine. And yeah. that was the one of the biggest mistakes I ever made because a female that can't be in their feminine can't be unconditionally loving to you and 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 soft and warm mm-hmm. and that because as men we're out we're going to battle every day we're fighting you you're scaling a company you you're solving problems all day long when you come home the last thing you want is her to hand you your to do list yeah right did you feel the same way yeah and and then you know this the more you I think one of the lessons that I learned and most people will learn is you think you want to accumulate a lot of stuff. And that's like the goal when you first start making money is to accumulate more and more and have this and have that, have a house over here, have a condo over there, you know, be able to have a 
have a boat, have a plane, have a, you know, all this stuff. And, and that's what success looks like to a lot of people. And that certainly was de- depicted on social media as somebody who's being successful, whether that individual actually owns all those things or not. But um, that's the picture of success, right? And so I uh, started making a bunch of money with Biotrust and I had my big house in Tampa. And then like, that wasn't enough. Uh, so I said, oh, well, I'm going to buy a condo down in Miami across from the stadium. I'm going to have season tickets to Miami Heat. And I'm not realizing like, okay, you're going to have to actually travel to Miami to go to all these games. You know, you don't live in Miami, Joel. Like, hey, let me buy a condo that's across the street. I'll just take a quick 30-minute flight down there, hop in for the games, which was fun for a little bit. But then uh, the whole condo project of it, I was renting a place. And that was kind of fun for that first year that we rented in South Beach and come down for the games. And I'd probably come down to four or five games a month. Um, but then I just said, I'm going to buy a condo now. And then, of course, in Joel Marion fashion, I couldn't just buy a condo. I had to buy it and gut it and remodel it. And what was supposed to take six months to two years to finish, by the time the Double condo the got budget. finished, LeBron James was leaving and going back to Cleveland, um, <laughs> double the budget. Then I have this beautiful condo, uh, two-story condo on the 31st floor right across from the, from the stadium. Uh, then LeBron leaves and he, and he goes to Cleveland. Now I'm traveling to Cleveland to watch LeBron play and my condo is being used by all my friends all the time. And you know what happens to my, because I'm not there all the time. My friends are there and they're like, hit me up. Joel, important relationships. I'm just using it as a relationship tool. But then it's like, hey, we're here. The upstairs air conditioning is at 90. It's like, like it won't cut on. Now I'm like, got to take time out from whatever <laughs> I'm doing with my family to try to fix the air conditioner while, while yeah. someone's using my condo for free, <laughs> you know? And now I got a chore, another job that I have to do. So it's just all that stress and extra stuff just by piling on and piling on things that you think that you want. But now, oh, I got a plane, but now I got another big headache with a $600,000 bill that's turning into... Hopefully it doesn't turn into a legal fight, you know? It's, well, simple. To me, mm-hmm. the most freeing thing I did was sell the cars, sell the extra watches. I only have one one left. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I I got rid of the, the big mega houses. Now I'm back. I'm big. Mm-hmm. You know, we just built another house, but um, we're selling that even right now. And uh, it was the most freeing feeling. I cut my overhead down from a hundred and something thousand a month to seven. Yeah. Beautiful. I couldn't freaking believe it. I yeah. was like, oh, this yeah, is now like you're banking money. Yeah, you know? now, now, you now, now your bank account's going the right yeah, way. Now you got margin. Keep it simple. Yeah. That's the lesson that I wanted to drive home is keep it freaking simple. You're you're talking to two guys that are really playing the game at a high level. And uh it feels really great to keep it simple because assets are the key, man. It, if you just have so much cash flow because your assets are spitting them off, you can still live life on your own terms and it, it doesn't get overbearing. I ask every single guest at the end of this interview, and you did a phenomenal job. I, I want you back because I want to talk about scaling and selling a business. Um, if you can go back in time and talk to 13-year-old Joe, Joel, mm-hmm. knowing your path, where you know, you are, you, 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 you've already lived the future, but you can go back in time. What would you tell that 13-year-old kid? Well, even at 13, I had a desire to have a family. I wanted girls. Um, God blessed me with that. I have two, two girls, 12 and 10 years old now. Um, where I think my biggest failure was a lot of failures in business and all that, but you always learn from them and you, you pivot forward and all of that. And, and I count those failures as just teaching opportunities, but you don't really want to fail on the marriage thing. You know, it's not something that for my kids sake, for my own sake, for the, the, the financial cost of going through a divorce and all of that. Um, I probably would have told my 13-year-old self just to take things a little bit slower 
And as you start to achieve success, don't get caught up in acquiring so many things. And then always put your spouse's needs before your own um, and think about what it is that they need and make sure that they're getting it. Because truth is, I think we both did a lousy job on it. And it's ultimately why we're not together anymore. But um, if you're taking care of their needs and, you're, and they're taking care of your needs and you're on the same page with that, and you're seeing when somebody is, their bucket's not being filled and you're stepping in before it gets too late to make sure that you empower them. Uh, hey, let me take some of this stuff off your plate. Okay, let's make some changes. Maybe this house is running us into the ground. Um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe we, I should have pivoted out of that sooner. You know, there's things looking back that I wish. Uh, well, another thing, I, I I married some another. I married somebody after only knowing them for a short period of time. I would have, I would have said slow down a little bit. You know, slow down. Everything that you want will come, but it doesn't have to happen as quickly as you want. I had a lot of fear um, dictate a lot of my decisions. My decision to get married was based on a fear that I would be alone or a fear that everyone else was getting ahead of me in life. This is my core group of friends, my four or five guys that I hung out with. They all were married. A couple of them started having families and kids. And I'm the single guy left. And I'm thinking I'm, I'm falling behind in life. Instead of comparing myself to them, uh, I should have really been thinking about, well, what's, what's best for me? And just because it's not happening on the same timeline as everybody else doesn't mean that something's wrong with you or that, it's not going to happen for you. It's just happening at a different speed or happening at a different time. And there's a good reason for that probably. But I rushed into the marriage. Um, I ignored a lot of red flags that I, you know, I shouldn't have ignored, which are all things that I've, you know, benefiting me in a major way in, the, in my current relationship. Um, I've much clearer boundaries, all of that. But, uh, you know, I sped through it. And then I, we had a, a kid eight months into our marriage. We didn't get married quickly because she got pregnant, but we had already had the wedding date and all that. It just so happened a month before the wedding, she got pregnant. Um, so here we are eight months into our, now she's going through pregnancy. That's, that's the first eight months of our, uh, of our marriage. And then now we got a newborn. We didn't even have time to set the foundation for our, our own relationship, yet alone. Now we're managing another life, you know, and, and that's, Anybody who has kids, you understand those early years are just, man, it's a lot of pressure. And if you don't have that strong foundation, that thing can crumble really, really easily. Especially if you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm building multiple companies and doing all this stuff. And uh, it's just too much going on at once. Too much happening too quick. And the attention that certain areas needed in my relationship in particular were being ignored and neglected. And it ultimately caused uh, us to, to be able to bounce back from that. So if there's one thing I would have done differently, it was approach my marriage and getting married in the first place. And then those first few years of my marriage to set the foundation and all that are things that I would do differently. And that if I was talking to my younger self or to just somebody who's younger and thinking about getting married, and this is all advice that I'd be giving them because I'd much rather have been successful on my first go around because I had this knowledge. Uh, and sometimes experience is, is, is the best teacher and, and sometimes the only teacher um, that, will, that will pound the point home to you. But, you know, I, uh, looking back, I don't have a desire for my kids to go get married and, and experience a divorce so they can learn all that stuff. I'm going to be telling having these conversations way in advance because my hope for them and for anybody I love and care about and even just for anyone in general is that uh, 
you know, they skip out on some of the, the, the stuff that's in their control uh, that can cause a lot of pain and challenge in your life. You learn from that, you become better for it. God can use it for good um, when you surrender it and you are where you are and some things you have to go through. But I think if you can avoid going through them in the first place, then, you know, you you'd probably uh, go that route instead. Well, I think that was phenomenal advice, man. And uh, hopefully your kids do get to watch you and learn from your mistakes. And with that being said, I see how you and Kat are around each other and it's beautiful. It's there, there, it's, it's a really great relationship because you did learn from a lot of those challenges and, and failures. So yeah, uh, it's going to be cool to be part of your wedding and be around you guys and watch you guys sail off into the sunset. And hopefully you have many, many years of amazing happiness and joy. And Appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited to be part of that and just to be your friend, generous Joel. Uh-huh. I hope, I hope there's always a way I can always serve and give back to you as well. Cause you've uh-huh. given a lot to us. So thank you for being on this podcast. How can people find you on social medias? Uh, yeah, it's just at Joel Marion on Instagram. It's the platform that, uh, you know, I don't even say I'm most active on it these days, but that's the platform that I, that I use when I do use social. Um, and if, uh, you know, you want to look up some podcasts or my name, uh, in, in the podcast space, we have our own podcast born to impact. I've also been guest on lots of other shows from entrepreneur friends. So if you want a little bit more of me, check out Born to Impact for sure, and then maybe uh, skip around and find some other podcasts that I've been guests on. It's a it's it's a great, but it's like a faith based podcast. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have five pillars of impact. That's the foundation. I recommend that everybody start with episodes one or two. We go over our five P's. Um, our good my my co host Dan Long Kill Mode is, is here. He's wearing the five pillar shirt today. And yeah, I saw that. Um, yeah, it's uh it, it establishes a really again. I think everybody has a desire to live a life worth living, a life of impact, right? We're, we're not here just to be here. We're not here just to float around for 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years we get to be on this planet and then just expire. We're not here to just survive through it. We're really put here to thrive and to help other people thrive and to bring other people up and to live a life uh, of impact or you're making a difference, right? We say it in the beginning of every po- podcast, where you're making a difference in your family, in your relationships, and in the world around you, in your career. Um, and if you know you feel like, hey, I'm living this life where I'm not feeling that impactful. I don't feel like I'm impacting my relationships very well. And, and if I am, maybe it's a negative impact. And, and I don't really feel like my career is that impactful. I'm just kind of going through the motions here, and I'm not really, uh, this is, I'm not passionate about this. You know, I don't, I don't feel, like I'm, I'm, I'm operating in, in my passion, I'm operating in my gift, right? All those things are things that are ultimately going to determine the quality of your life. The quality of your life comes from being of service to other people and by helping people um, and to uh, impacting the world around you ultimately. So you know, I think we do a really good job bringing that. We tell everybody's story. If, if, if you haven't heard Cody's full story, uh, which, you, which you shared tons of stuff on the podcast I that did. I think you haven't shared many other places. That was the first so. time I actually started talking a little bit about like background of my family and stuff like that. Yeah. So you do live that though. You live a life of impact. You you embody what you guys are talking about on the podcast. So I think that's super rad. Go check his go check out his podcast, Born to Impact. He's got a great co-host, Dan Long. Shout out to Dan. Um, and uh, look. We do these podcasts to bring you amazing human beings like Joel. Make sure you go support him on social media and uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. You know, the subscriptions, the reviews, we really appreciate them. We don't do advertising on this podcast, but that's how you serve back to us is you share this with a friend and, uh, you know, 
You never know who might be going through an exit of a business or they're trying to get out of their teaching job or a job that they're in and they're like, man, I want more out of my life. And they can really be impacted by Joel's story. So share this with a friend. And until next time, we're out of here. Take care, comb your hair. Peace. Hey, thanks for being a subscriber of the Clever Investor Show. As a thank you gift, we wanted to give you something that we know is gonna help you get started as a creative real estate investor. It's our real estate success kit and it's completely free. Just go to www.reisuccesskit.com to customize your kit, but essentially it's a collection of 15 training tools designed to help you get results quickly as a creative real estate investor. From systems to lead generation, to finding cash buyers, to creative ways to close deals and get paid. Your free REI success kit is just a few clicks away. Once again, the website's www.reisuccesskit.com.